Good morning. Welcome home. Good to see all of you today. Great to see all of you. That was an enthusiastic hey from Garrett, who's got to be half asleep after he and Andy were at, they were at all three sessions of teen camp. Can you believe that? That's crazy. But uh, good to see all of you today. I do want to mention before we we really get started today, um, a prayer request for Don and Jackie Holtz. Uh, I think most of you know Don and Jackie, and uh, Don had quadruple bypass surgery out in Wichita this week and has just had some complications after that. Can we just pause and just say a quick prayer for them? Father, uh, thank you for Don and Jackie. Thank you for watching over him during the surgery, and I pray that you would just um, just give him your healing touch right now. Lord, fill him with, with your peace and your strength. Fill Jackie with your peace and your strength. I pray that even right now in this moment, they would just sense your presence with them and sense the love of their church family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few things that we want to celebrate. Um, This morning at the end of this service, uh, we are going to be dedicating a baby, a little William Davis, and so we're excited about that. And then in our 10 o'clock service, we're going to be welcoming five people into church membership, and we're going to be baptizing two. So yes, yes, praise God. Praise God for that. Um, But in the meantime, we're in the middle of a a series called Messy Family, uh, finding God's best in our dysfunctional mess. And so we know that all of us have some kind of dysfunction in our family. I don't care if you're single and live by yourself. You've got dysfunction in your household because you're not perfect. None of us are perfect. Uh, But here's what we want to take from this. Here's what we hope that you take from this series. God can bring hope and healing to even the messiest family. There is no mess that's too big for God's grace and God's healing to be able to, to, to work in and bring transformation in. And so that's what we want you to take, uh, take from this series. Uh, but I want to start us today with a, a, just a short little video clip called When You Dance With Temptation. I am the one, the way you're trying to be the judge to get respect upon the street. Wow. Just a, just a, can we watch that again? That's so short. That's, that's funny no matter how many times you watch that. But, but that's, I mean, that's a funny clip that illustrates a very serious truth. And that is when we choose to dance around temptation and dance around sin, eventually it's going to get us. Eventually, it's going to bite us. It's going to happen. And uh, today's family, uh, a family, the family of a man named Lot, experienced this, this truth in a very tragic way. If you want to find in your Bible or your Bible app, Genesis chapter 13, the first book of the Bible, um, Abram, who was later called Abraham, uh, he had traveled with his, he had traveled to the to the Promised Land, to the land of Canaan, with his nephew, whose name was Lot. And uh, their families and herds had just grown too big for them to continue sort of living together and traveling together. So they agreed to part ways, and, and Abraham graciously let Lot choose which direction he was going to go first. And in chapter 13, verse 10, we find these words. It says, Lot looked up, and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east, and he pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, and they were sinning greatly 
against the Lord. Now, this may seem like an innocent decision. But this is a decision that would, that would have a profound and tragic impact on Lot's family, as we'll see. But the problem here was not that he chose the good land where he could provide for his family or, or even become wealthy. That's not where he went wrong. Obviously, it's a good thing to position yourself to provide for your family. And in fact, positioning yourself uh, to, to add to your wealth. That in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. Where, where Lot went wrong is in verse 12 where it says he decided to settle where? Near Sodom. Near Sodom. Sodom was this city that was just filled with all kinds of of just godlessness and sinfulness and wickedness. It was a really, really bad place. And Lot was willing to settle on the outskirts of the city. Now, some of you might say, well, pastor, um, if, if we aren't willing to to sort of rub shoulders with people who don't know God, then how can we influence them to know him? And I agree with that 100%. If we isolate ourselves from people who don't know Christ, then we can't fulfill our mission, which is to make disciples of them and point them to Jesus. Okay, so I agree with that, but here's the deal. That's not why Lot was there. Lot didn't settle on the outskirts of the city so that he could try to influence them towards God. Lot settled on the outskirts of this wicked city because he thought it would be a good place where he could add to his wealth. That was the problem. Lot was willing to dance around the edges of this place so that he could become wealthier. In other words, Lot's priorities were messed up. His priorities were messed up. And what we need to realize is that messed up priorities tend to lead to messed up families. Messed up priorities tend to lead to messed up families. When we're willing to dance around the edges of sin in order to chase our messed up priorities, we can be sure that at some point our families are going to pay a price. They're going to pay a price. And that's exactly what we see in Lot over in chapter 19. Let me just sort of summarize this chapter for you. These two angels go to Sodom. They're disguised as just average, everyday men. And, and so their, their job, their mission is to rescue Lot and his family from Sodom before God destroys the city. And remember where we left Lot in chapter 13 on the outskirts of the city? Not really a part of the wickedness of the city, but close enough he could watch it and he could see it. Well, by the time chapter 19 opens up, the angels find Lot not on the outskirts of the city. They find him sitting at the city gate, which was sort of the central place of public life. In fact, the fact that he's sitting there might even indicate he had become sort of maybe a judge or an official in the city. So Lot has gone from being a bystander on the outskirts of this wicked, godless city to living right in the heart of it all. He invites these men, these angels who he believes are just men, he invites them to be guests at his home. And so they go to his home, and that night this lust Filled mob shows up on on Lot's doorstep because they want these two men and they want to do unspeakable things to these men. And Lot, he actually offers his own daughters to this mob. He says, no, leave these guys alone. Here, take my daughters. 
if you can believe that. The mob refuses this offer, and so uh, these men who are actually angels, they cause this mob to just, uh, they all go blind. All of these men go blind. And at dawn, these angels are finally able to drag Lot and his wife and his daughters out of their home and out of the city. Well, in the process, Lot's wife dies, and Lot and his daughters find themselves living in a cave And then to make, as if this whole thing isn't dysfunctional enough, Lot's daughters then decide to get him drunk and sleep with him, their own father, so they can have kids. How's that for dysfunction? You know what that is? That's a lot of dysfunction. See see what I did there? Hey, y'all didn't pay money to get in here, okay? You get what you pay for That's a lot of dysfunction. At the beginning of the story, we have Lot with his family intact, willing to dance around the edges of sin and wickedness for the opportunity to add to his already great wealth. But by the end of the story, he has no more wealth. He's living in a cave. His wife has died because her heart longed to remain in the wickedness and sin that he led her into. And his daughters have gotten him drunk And conceived children by him. That's where Lot has gone from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. So again, Lot's problem was not that he put himself into a position to add to his wealth. The problem problem is that he was more in love with sin and what the world had to offer than he was with God. And because Lot was more in love with the world, with what the world had to offer than he was with God, guess what? His family was also more in love with what the world had to offer than they were with God. See, this is a story about letting your priorities get all messed up and then dancing around the edges of sin and then letting it suck you right into its grasp. This is a cautionary tale, if there ever was one. Because having the right priorities doesn't guarantee that you will have a healthy family. But having messed up priorities just about guarantees that you won't. Having the right priorities doesn't guarantee that you will have a healthy family. But having messed up priorities just about guarantees that you won't. So let's talk about priorities then. When I was, um, I don't know, several years ago... Uh, Sarah and I had a home in Ozark, Missouri, and I was talking to our, our neighbor one evening out in the yard, and he made this, this statement to me. He said, Adam, I wish I had your priorities. And there was something about that statement that just didn't sound right to me, and I couldn't put my finger on, on what was wrong with that statement. And, and I kept thinking about it, and it wasn't until later that day, or maybe even a day or two later, I don't remember. But sometime after that, it dawned on me what was wrong with his statement, I wish I had your priorities. What was wrong with his statement is that priorities are not things that you have. They are choices that you make. should have put that on the screen, I guess. Priorities are not things that you have, they are choices that you make. So we have to make sure that we are making 
the right priority. So I want to give you six things this morning, six things to help you make sure that your priorities are what they need to be, all right? Six things, how to have legit priorities, okay? Six things to do to have legit priorities. And first and foremost is put God first. Anybody ever talks to you about priorities and doesn't say that that needs to be the first one, just move it on. Go learn from somebody else. Read another book or something. Put God first. That means committing every area of my life to him. He created you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He created life and relationships and all of that. He deserves to be first place. In our life. So give him first place. And that means that means I'm going to seek to to let his word determine my priorities and what I seek after in life. It means that if there's anything in my life that's causing me to sin or or is hindering my relationship with him, then I'm going to do what I need to do to get it out of my life. It means that as much as I might want something in life, if I can't pursue it without compromising my relationship with him, I'm not going to pursue it. And by the way, that goes for relationships too. Listen, single people, I don't care how old you are, if you're single, if you want God to be the first priority in your life, you better date someone who has the same priority. Even in your relationships, I'm not going to let a relationship come between me and God if he's first place in my life. It means that I'm going to carve out some time out of my day every day. To spend in his word and to spend in prayer. It means that, that uh, I'm always going to seek to do things God's way instead of my way. I'm going to put him first. But secondly, I'm going to put family and relationships second. My, uh, my mom, when she was younger, was a, a singer. And she was, such a, she was such a good singer that after high school she moved to New York. Uh, to try to pursue a career singing on Broadway. And so after she had been there for a while, she was talking with a lady who was, I guess was a big soap opera star at the time. And this lady told my mom, she said, I would spit on my own mother's grave to get ahead in this business. And my mom decided this was not the life for her. She decided, as much as I would love this career, and as much as I've, I've worked towards this kind of career, I can't do it if it has to come ahead of my family like that. So she moved back to Illinois. She went to visit some cousins in Texas, and she decided to stay. And there she met my dad, and that's how I became your discipleship pastor at Pitnas. I may have skipped a little bit in there, but... My point is, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. Maybe you're not, but I'm thankful <laughs> that my mom chose to put family ahead of this career that she had longed for. Or else I wouldn't even be here today. In fact, I read an article recently. It was written by someone who's worked, with, um, worked in hospice for six years, you know, caring for people at the end of their, their lives. And this wasn't a scientific study or anything like that. This was just her observations after six years of hospice care. And the, the top three common regrets that she noticed among her patients in six years were this. Number one, I wish I'd been more loving to the people who matter the most. Number two, I wish I had been a better spouse, parent, or child. Number three, I wish I had not spent so much time 
working. Those were the top three regrets that she noticed people having at the end of their lives. See, when you're on your deathbed, it won't be your coworkers or your employees or your boss. It won't be your banker. Those are not the people who you're going to want at your bedside when you're about to pass from this life to the next. You're going to want your family and maybe your closest friends. So invest in those relationships. Give those priority in your life second to God. Third thing, pray about every decision. Pray about every decision. One pastor I know likes to say this, you can make a stupid decision tomorrow, at least pray about it first. I love that. You can make a dumb decision tomorrow, at least pray about it. Especially those decisions that that you know are going to have a a big impact on your family. Go to God, the sovereign God of all creation who created you and loves you and has your best interests at heart. Go to Him. Pray to Him. Develop that prayer life. Ask God for wisdom and guidance, which leads to number four, seek godly advice. And the reason those two are connected is because sometimes when you ask God for wisdom and guidance, it comes through the mouth of someone you trust. So ask advice, especially when you're facing a big decision that's going to impact your family. Ask for advice. Here's the thing. I don't care how smart you are. You are not smart enough to figure out by yourself everything in life that you need to figure out. You're not. I'm not. None of us are. So ask. Humble yourself enough to ask advice, preferably from someone who shares your faith and values, and preferably from someone who has the priorities that you aspire to. Right? I mean, that just makes sense. If you ask for advice, ask for someone who shares your faith and values and has the priorities that you aspire to. Number five, this comes from Andy Stanley. Ask yourself this question. When you're you're about to make a big decision especially, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Really? The really is there because we're really good at fooling ourselves sometimes, aren't we? We're good at fooling other people. We're good at fooling ourselves. And Andy Stanley says, ask yourself that question. In other words, examine your motives. When you're about to make a big decision, check your motives. Have the self-awareness enough and have enough self-reflection to say, why am I doing this? Really? And if your motive, if your motive for what you're about to do is not in line with the priorities that you aspire to and that you believe God wants you to have for your life, then you need to rethink that decision. Your motives are like windows that allow you and others to see glimpses of your priorities. So watch your motives. And then the sixth one. And this is huge. Don't think that because this is six, this is the least important one. This is really big. Watch out for little compromises. Watch out for little compromises in your priorities. You see, most people don't set out to mess up their, pro- their priorities, right? Nobody sets out and says, I'm going to have terrible priorities in my life. Nobody does that. Usually when our priorities get messed up, they get messed up one little compromise at a time. 
Remember, Lot started out on the outskirts of Sodom. He started out kind of dancing around the edge. And then he got sucked in. Little compromises. When you're willing to dance around the fire of sin, you're going to get burned. Listen really, really closely to the words of this song because that's exactly what this song is about. Away. 
away. Be careful about little compromises in your life, folks. God, God calls you. If you're going to call yourself by his name, by his holy name, then God calls you and he calls me to make decisions and to have priorities that reflect his heart and his character. And those things don't crumble overnight. They crumble slowly over time as we allow little things into our lives that eat away at the plan and the purposes that God has for us. So Lot and his family were a pretty messed up bunch, weren't they? But just like the other dysfunctional families that we've seen so far, there's a, there's a seed of God's grace that's buried within this story. This verse, the end of chapter 19, it says, So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab, and he's the father of the Moabites of today. Well, that's a pretty random verse, pretty random verse to end on, isn't it? Here's where the seed of God's grace is found in this story. You want to know who the most famous Moabite person in the Bible is? It's a woman by the name of Ruth. If you've never read Ruth's story, you need to read it. It's in a book appropriately titled Ruth in the Old Testament. It's short. It's four chapters. You need to go read it. Here's the bottom line. I'm going to give you, here's a spoiler alert, okay? I'm going to give you part of the end of the story. Ruth marries a Jew. Ruth is a Moabite. And remember, this family, this line of people, this race came from this act of incest between Lot and one of his daughters. That offspring gave rise to this race of people. And one of these people, her name was Ruth, and she marries this Jew named Boaz, and, and she became the great-grandmother. See, they had, a, they had kids together who had kids who had kids, and Ruth was the great-grandmother of David, the greatest king in, in all of Israel's history. And it was from David's line. that we have Jesus. And in the New Testament, in the genealogy of Jesus, is listed Ruth, a Moabite, whose people came into existence because of this horrible act of incest. Proving to us, folks, proving to us once again that God's grace can bring a ray of redemption out of any situation, no matter how messy it is, no matter how messed up it is, God's grace can always bring a ray of hope and restoration and redemption. Seeds of God's grace can be planted within even the messiest of situations. So is your family messed up? 
today? Is your life messed up? Are your priorities messed up today? Well, as you allow God to shape your life and your family and your priorities, let me ask you this question. What's one area of your life that you can give to God today and say, God, I need you to realign my priorities in this area. Maybe it's in the area of your time. Maybe you would say, God, I really need to give time with you a higher priority in my life. Will you give me wisdom and help me see how I can carve out time for you every day? Or maybe it's serving in the church or maybe it's giving to the church. Maybe you would pray, God, help me to help me to see how I can make those one of those things a bigger priority in my life. I need to give more of my time to you and the church. I need to give more of my finances to you and to the church. Maybe for you, it's a it's your your physical health. Maybe you would say, God, I know I need to make my health a bigger priority so I can have the energy to give to my family and to give to you what you want me to. I don't know, what is it for you? Maybe there's an area of your life where you've be, you've allowed compromise to set in. Maybe you've allowed something into your life that you know is not of God and is not leading you closer to Him. It's pushing you farther away. What's one thing, one area of your life where you can say, God, will you help me to rearrange my priorities in this area? If you'd like to come pray about that as we sing, then I invite you to come. Well, God is good, isn't he? He is awesome. He loves you. He has a purpose for you. Make him a priority in your life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.